Okay, great. Um, so we're on page 12 of uh, Simon Dunn's Individuation and Notions of Form and Information. I think this is our third meeting um, since we started the introduction. Um, but um, so we're starting at, um, I believe, the first full paragraph on, on that page, uh, this study. Um, so I can start reading. I'll just. This study is founded on the following conception of being. Being does not possess a unity of identity, which is that of a stable state wherein no transformation is possible. Being possesses a transductive unity, i.e. it can phase shift with respect to itself. It can overflow itself on both sides from its center. What is taken as a relation or duality of principles is in fact this overflowing expanse of a being, insofar as a being is more than unity and more than identity. Becoming is a dimension of being, not what comes to it according to a succession that would be undergone by an initially given and substantial being. Individuation must be grasped as the being's becoming and not as a model of the being, which would exhaust its signification. The individuated being is neither the whole being nor the first being. Instead of grasping individuation on the basis of the individuated being, the individuated being must be grasped on the basis of individuation and individuation on the basis of pre-individual being which is distributed according to several orders of magnitude. So he's, uh, he's arguing here for uh, a sort of reversal of the order of explanation uh, within philosophy. So instead of um, starting with the um, individuated entities uh, and then trying to sort of work backwards from there to, uh, to grasp the principle of individuation on that basis, uh, it, it goes the other way around. You, you understand uh, you understand what an individuated being is uh, by understanding the the process of individuation that brings it about. And we understand uh, individuation in turn on the basis of the pre-individual from which it arises. Um, so we, so the whole the whole process of understanding starts from the pre-individual, goes through the process of individuation uh, and then results in the individuated entity that we want to have um, a grasp or, or knowledge of. And then the other key point in this paragraph is the, uh, the notion of um, uh, this transductive unity or um, this, uh, um, uh, this being that is more than unity uh, and more than identity. So, um, this is uh, the, the pre-individual being, um, which uh, is not characterized by, um, by identity or, or unity in the standard sense. Um, and so the, the law of excluded middle doesn't apply uh, to, uh, to, to pre-individual being, um, um, but it does have this unity in uh, this other sense, this transductive unity, um, meaning that it's a unity that is, um, uh, a result of a, of a process. Um, so uh, it's a process of individuation that, that creates this unity rather than um, the unity being uh, sort of um, an initial state that, uh, that pre-exists the process. Uh, one question, uh, what exactly is um, Simondon meaning in right after transductive, uh, transductive unity uh, with phase shift? In, in uh, what meaning is he using it? Right. Um, yeah, that's a good a good point to bring up. Um, so we we saw a little bit last time 
this uh, his use of the the, the term phase shifting or um, um, his discussion of, of phases. Um, so this is his characterization of the um, the transductive process um, is uh, starting from this initial state, this initial pre-individuated, uh, pre-individual state, um, and then um, a separation, uh, a separation into um, distinct phases um, that occurs in the in within the pre-individual. Um, so uh, this would be the separation into um, different orders of magnitude, for example. Uh, um, in the case of, um, um, like what we saw with the example in the footnote uh, last week of the the plant that that um, uh, integrates the cosmic order of magnitude and the submolecular order of magnitude, and 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 so that's um, a result uh, of uh, an individuation process that comes after that separation of those orders of magnitude in the first place, um, and and so that's. Um, Dephasing or phase shift is is that initial separation of those orders of magnitude. It's also noteworthy that this um, talk of phase shift like stays in the um, association space of um, individuation. If he's um, if he's taking this from like and metastable systems, right? Um, I think on. Um, in the foreword, actually, um, there is there is it's mentioned that um, this this phase shift concept is also taken from thermodynamics, and when we talk about metastable systems and thermodynamics, um, and um, he he refers to like um, super saturated or super cooled um, uh, fluids. Um, we are talking about systems that shouldn't be in the phase that they are in. Like a, flu a super fluid, uh, a super cooled fluid is a fluid that is below its point of freezing in temperature. Like it's cooler than it should be, um, but it hasn't frozen because there wasn't like a seed for crystallization yet. Right. Yeah. So there's the the thermodynamic notion of uh, of a phase of matter. So um, liquid, solid, gas. Um, I, I suppose plasma. Um, I'm not sure that there's. I think there's other sort of exotic phases um, in uh, in uh, more um, um, specialized areas of physics. But um, um, so the crystallization process that, that he takes as the paradigm of uh, transduction is a, a phase shift from a liquid state to a solid state. Um, but I think that's, I think that's um, an instance of what he's referring to um, here with, with this phase shift um, and not, it doesn't um, exhaust what he's referring to um, in the sense that um, um, this phase shift is prior to actually um, constituted matter um, so uh, the 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 process of crystallization is um, is an instance of um, of uh, uh, a phase shift but it's not um, it's not the only um, the only form that that phase shift can take and and we have to think of uh, an initial phase shift um, which is prior to the actual constitution of matter 
um, that would that would be this pre-individuated um, uh, pre-individuated being that that separates out into um, different uh, orders of magnitude. Okay, I think we can go on to the next paragraph. Um, if I can get a volunteer to read. The intention of this study is therefore to examine the forms, modes, and degrees of individuation in order to put the individual back into being according to the three levels of the physical, the vital, and the psychosocial. Instead of supposing substances so as to account for individuation, we have chosen to take the different regimes of individuation as the basis of various domains such as matter, life, mind, and society. The separation, layering, and relations of these domains appear as aspects of individuation according to its different modalities. The more fundamental notions of first information, metastability, internal resonance, energetic potential, and orders of magnitude are substituted for the notions of substance, form, and matter. Um, so here I think the only um, maybe uh, difficult concept or, or term that um, has not really been uh, explained um, explicitly so far is first information. Um, and th this is um, um, what we've seen a little bit uh, in this uh, earlier in the introduction and then as well um, in the form information potentials reading from a few weeks ago where um, Simondon wants to ha uh, have a theory um, of, uh, of uh, qualitative information or of, um, of the generation of information before transmission. So um, the, the quantitative theory of information has to do with transmission of information that already exists. Um, and you can only ever lose information in the process of transmission. Um, um, but uh, what Simonon wants to account for is the generation of that information in the first place um, before transmission. And so that's why he, he describes it as first information. Um, so it's the 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 information um, before transmission, or or what accounts for the possibility of transmitting information in the first place. And then uh, the rest of that paragraph is is sort of a, a almost a table of contents of the rest of the book, um, just pointing to um, the different layers of individuation or the different um, regions that he's going to um, account for in the rest of the book. So we have the the um, physical individuation, vital individuation, uh, psychic, and then collective individuation um, as different domains of, uh, of individuation um, or different uh, layers of individuation. Uh, we can go on to the, to the next paragraph if someone else would like to read. This one's a bit longer. Yet in order for this modification of notions to be possible, it is necessary to introduce both a new method and a new notion. The method consists in not trying to compose the essence of a reality via a conceptual relation between two pre-existing extreme terms. And it also consists in considering every veritable relation as having the status of being. Relation is a modality of being. It is simultaneous with respect to the terms whose existence it guarantees. A relation must be grasped as a relation in being, a relation of being, a manner of being, and not a simple rapport between two terms that could be adequately known via concepts because they would have an effectively prior separate existence. It is because terms are conceived as substances that relation is a rapport of terms and that being is separated into terms. Since being is initially 
before any examination of individuation conceived as substance. Conversely, if substance is no longer the model of being, it is possible to conceive relation as the being's non-identity vis-a-vis itself, the inclusion in the being of a reality which is not merely identical with it, such that being qua being before any any individuation can be comprehended as more than unity and more than identity. This kind of method supposes an ontological type of postulate at the level of being at the level of being grasped before any any individuation, the principle of the excluded middle and the principle of identity are no longer applicable. These principles only apply to the already individuated being, and they define an impoverished being that is separated into milieu and individual. Consequently, they do not apply to the being's whole, to the ensemble formed later on by the milieu and the individual, but merely to what a pre-individual being has become individual. In this sense, classical logic cannot be used to think individuation, for it forces us to think the operation of individuation with concepts and rapport among concepts that merely apply to the results of the operation of individuation considered partially. Right, so here he's getting into um, some notions of of method, uh, some uh, ideas about the the method to be followed in this book. Um, And um, he also, so he's bringing back some some themes that we've already seen um, about relations. uh, and so here we have to um, distinguish between relation and um, rapport, um, which is um, at the level of translation, it, it may be not ideal. Um, I'm not sure if there really exists a better term in in English, but rapport tends to, we tend to use that for some sort of um, more um, intense or uh, deep relationship with uh, with another person, um, you know, having a, a good rapport with someone, meaning uh, having some uh, a connection with them. Um, whereas here, rapport is used for um, external relations, so relations that don't um, make up the being of the related terms uh, or where the terms um, pre-exists that relation uh, uh, or pre-exists that rapport uh, between them. Um, um, So yeah, let's just keep in mind that relation is used in the sense of internal relation uh, and then rapport is used in the sense of external relation. Um, And then, so uh, he also again mentions the uh, this relativization of, of classical logic um, in the sense that classical logic with the, the principle of excluded middle um, only applies to uh, already individuated beings um, or entities um, rather than uh, to the pre-individual being uh, that underlies them. So uh, we can't um, uh, we can't think uh, pre-individual being using uh, concepts in the the precise sense that, that Simonon uses the term. Um, so concepts would be um, characterized by classical logic um, and the law of excluded middle, um, whereas transductive thinking is, is not conceptual um, and it's the means by which we grasp pre-individual being. Um, I guess I should just mention, um, you know, everyone's being a little bit quiet today, but uh, feel free to um, ask questions or, or make comments um, on the mic or in the chat um, if, uh, if anything comes up. Um, um, 
But uh, if there are no other comments on that section, then we can go on to the next paragraph, which is like a page long. Um, so any volunteers? The usage of this method, which considers the principle of identity and the principle of the excluded middle as too narrow, unlocks a notion that has a multitude of aspects and domains of application, that of transduction. By transduction, we mean a physical, biological, mental, or social operation through which an activity propagates incrementally within a domain by basing this propagation on a structuration of the domain operated from one region to another. Each structural region serves as a principle and model, so as an initiator for constituting the following region, such that a modification thereby extends progressively through this structuring operation. The simplest image of the transductive operation is provided by the crystal, which starting from a tiny germ, increases and extends following all the directions in its supersaturated mother liquor. Each previously constituted molecular layer serves as the structuring basis for the layer in the process of forming. The result is an amplifying reticular structure. The, the transductive operation is an individuation in progress. Within the physical domain, it can be effectuated in the simplest way via progressive iteration. But within more complex domains, like the domains of vital metastability or of the psychical problematic, it can advance with a constantly variable pace and extend into a domain of heterogeneity. There is transduction when there is an activity that starts from a being's structural and functional center and extends in various directions based on its center, as if multiple dimensions of the being appeared around this center. Transduction is the correlative appearance of dimensions and structures within a being in a state of pre-individual tension, i.e. in a being which is more than unity and more than identity and which has not yet phase shifted with respect to itself in multiple dimensions. The extreme terms attained by the transductive operation do not exist before this operation. Its dynamism stems from the initial tension of the system of the, of the heterogeneous being that phase shifts and develops dimensions according to which it will be structured. It does not come from a tension between terms that will be attained and deposited at the extreme limits of transduction. Transduction can be a vital operation. In particular, it expresses the orientation of organic individuation. It can be a psychical operation and an effective logical procedure, although it is not at all limited to logical thought. In the domain of knowledge, it defines the veritable measure of invention, which is neither inductive nor deductive, but transductive, i.e. corresponds to a discovery of the dimensions according to which a problematic can be defined. It is an analogical operation, at least based on what is valid about this kind of operation. This notion can be used to think the different domains of individuation. It applies to all cases where an individuation is realized, manifesting the genesis of a web of rapports founded on the being. The possibility of using an analogical transduction to think a domain of reality indicates that this domain is effectively the groundwork of a transductive structuration. Transduction corresponds to this existence of rapports that takes hold when pre-individual being individuates. It expresses individuation and allows for individuation to be thought. It is therefore a notion that is both metaphysical and logical. It applies to ontogenesis and is ontogenesis itself. Objectively, it makes it possible to understand the systematic conditions of individuation, internal resonance, and the psychical problematic. Logically, it can be used as the basis of a new type of analogical paradigmatism in order to pass from physical individuation to organic individuation, 
from organic individuation to psychical individuation, and from psychical individuation to the subjective and objective trans-individual, all of which defines the plan of this research. So in the last paragraph, he said that there was a, um, a method and a notion, which uh, a new method and notion that um, have to be introduced. And so he, he talked about the method in the last paragraph, and here he's talking about the notion, um, which is transduction. Um, but um, it, it's a, it's itself, this notion is itself a, a methodological notion, as he explains in this paragraph. So he's, um, it's a, a notion um, of the theory, but it's also the, the principle according to which the theory is uh, organized as well uh, at the same time. So um, he, he gives a, a definition uh, of sorts of transduction. Um, and he says, we, we understand by transduction um, uh, a physical, biological, mental, or social relationship uh, by means of which an activity uh, and propagates uh, incrementally um, in, uh, within a domain. And, uh, and so that's the sort of general definition of, of uh, uh, what transduction would mean. But um, I think it's more um, uh, uh, productive to understand the transduction through the example that he gives. Um, and, and this is itself a, a transductive um, operation because transduction is um, a, a paradigmatic thought. It's a, a thought that um, a, a way of thinking in which um, uh, an initial germ structures uh, an initially unstructured domain. Um, and so I think we can understand this crystal example as itself um, um, a structural germ that um, around which the rest of our thought will become structured. Um, so yeah, the crystal example is, is one that we've talked about before um, and that we'll, we'll see in more detail in the initial chapter of the book. Um, but the, the general idea is you have a, a supersaturated solution um, in, in which um, uh, a germ, this uh, germ crystal forms, uh, and then around that crystal, um, the, the around the germ, um, the, the solution crystallizes um, in, in layers, um, so progressively around the edge uh, or the limit of that uh, already formed crystal, it will uh, continue to crystallize until the whole solution uh, is crystallized. Um, and so this is the, the paradigm that he uh, um, introduces for this notion of transduction. Um, and um, so then there's also uh, this, so that, that, yeah, that's the basic idea of transduction is this, this um, uh, structuring, progressive structuring operation uh, in an initially unstructured domain. Um, but then he, <clears throat> then he also characterizes um, <clears throat> He characterizes this uh, transduction as the um, appearance, the, the correlative appearance of dimensions and structures in a being uh, in a pre-individual state of tension. Um, and so this notion of dimensions um, uh, points back towards um, the, the example that I mentioned last time of uh, uh, binocular vision. Um, and so the, the way that um, 
in binocular vision, we resolve the, the problem of the, the disparation of the retinal images on, on two eyes. Um, we, we resolve that problem not by um, uh, abstracting from the two retinal images to, to preserve only what is common, um, but rather by um, preserving the, the disparation itself um, and by introducing a new dimension uh, in depth perception. Um, and so that, that he takes that as a, as a, a paradigm of how, um, how transductive operations uh, resolve problems by introducing a, a new dimension to a situation, to a, a system. Um, so that's, that's where that, that notion of dimension comes in. And then there's the important point that he makes as well is that um, this notion of transduction is both um, a metaphysical and a logical notion at the same time. So it, it characterizes um, um, a process that is occurring in, uh, in beings. Uh, so there is the, um, this process of individuation is a, a process that is, um, uh, that is occurring in, in beings uh, outside of us. Um, and then it's also a process that our knowledge undergoes. And um, we're going to see, um, I think in the next couple paragraphs, his, um, um, his claim that um, our knowledge of uh, processes of individuation is itself an individuation in our knowledge. Um, so the only way to know uh, uh, a process of individuation is through this transductive process within knowledge. So uh, undergoing a process of individuation ourselves. Um, so there, there's this um, um, analogical relationship between um, the transductive process in beings and then the transductive process in our knowledge. Um, and so they, they have themselves uh, between, between these two transductive processes, there's this relation of analogy. Yeah, I want to try to contrast that with, uh, so he, he contrasts it with uh, inductive and deductive. Um, yeah, so, uh, so my instinct is to think of this, of transduction as a kind of, um, uh, as a process of being, right? So there is this supersaturated solution, you drop the germ, and then the whole thing starts to transform, right? Um, so I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we think of this as actually a, a kind of logical or um, uh, like a procedure of thinking? And uh, so just so a quick contrast, uh, so an inductive logic would be when we begin with a thing and we abstract from it, right? Like, let's say we get a few different types of rabbits and then we say, oh, all rabbits have, you know, this kind of ear or they're all furry and so on. It's like a bottom up and then the deductive goes down from a, like an a priori principle or postulate or whatever. And then you, uh, we derive conclusions from that. And I guess I'm trying to understand how to think of transduction in these terms. Maybe this is coming in the next paragraphs, I guess. Maybe this is just uh, jumping the gun. But uh, um, yeah, because the instinct is to, my instinct at least, 
is to see it as a process of being. Right. Um, so that's that's a um, a, a helpful um, summary of of inductive and and deductive knowledge. Um, so, right. So induction um, starts from particulars and then abstracts from the what is particular to each of them and uh, and derives um, a, a universal or a, a relative universal. Um, uh, so this rabbit is furry. This second rabbit is furry. Third rabbit is furry, etc. Therefore. Um, Rabbits are furry uh, in general, um, uh, whereas the uh, deductive knowledge or, or deductive um, mode of thinking um, uh, is starts from uh, an initial universal and then deduces a particular from that. So if you if you if you have a, a, a statement that all rabbits are furry, um, and then this is a rabbit. Uh, then you can conclude that this entity is going to be furry. Um, I mean, these are sort of uh, toy examples. They're not very interesting um, uh, accounts of uh, or instances of inductive and, and deductive knowledge. Um, but um, uh, I think that point that you made um, and um, um, and what what Angus uh, pointed out in the chat here, the the point about um, the relationship between a posteriori and uh, a priori is uh, is relevant here because in a footnote um, that we saw last week, which I think is, is very important, which um, um, unfortunately is uh, put as an end note in the English translation, um, so it's not right on the same page. But um, um, the footnote where he uh, where Simondon um, talks about the the notion of a priori and a posteriori. Um, um, as uh, yes, exactly, uh, Leith Mason. So he he introduces this notion of a presenti um, as an alternative to a priori and um, a posteriori. Um, so the the traditional account of knowledge as um, uh, as a, an encounter or or joining of a priori and a, and a posteriori, um, or the the form and the content um, or um, Concepts and uh, and sensations, or something along those lines, um, that account of, of knowledge um, uh, remains in the hylomorphic um, schema that Simon Don is criticizing um, because it it doesn't account for that dark zone, uh, that that uh, region of interaction between the concept and the sensations, um, or um, form and content, however you want to specify that that distinction. Um, so we don't have an, on this theory. We don't have an account of how um, sensations are supposed to be subsumed under concepts, or or um, what exactly um, the the form is supposed to do to the content. Um, whereas what Simon Don is going to um, argue for here is is precisely this um, starting from this dark zone or or this this intermediary position. Um, and, and this would be a kind of knowledge that um, uh, in which the um, the uh, the knowledge is uh, contemporary with what is known rather than being a, a, an a priori form or um, an a posteriori um, uh, content. Um, uh, so knowledge that is generated at the same time uh, as the, the interaction with the, the thing known. Um, 
and um, um, so yeah, so transductive knowledge then would be um, uh, a knowledge that is uh, itself um, a process of individuation uh, that's contemporary with the, the process of individuation in uh, the, the reality that you're trying to know rather than um, a concept that you sort of bring a priori to um, the, the thing known uh, or um, something that would be abstracted from uh, the, the particular things known in inductive knowledge. Um, so that's, that's the, the sort of general orientation of, of transductive um, thinking or transductive knowledge. Is it by that characterization then uh, thinking that is not trying to be static in a sense that you try to understand, uh, for example, a, a tree as just um, uh, exemplification of the static concept uh, in, in a specific um, degenerated form, so to speak, when we think about uh, Plato's uh, understanding of ideas as the... the um, um, absolute form, so to speak, that uh, all the other things are derived from. But uh, the transductive thinking is something that is developing in a very dynamic way and is trying to, to um, uh, in, in some form, the, the, the operation that is all, also inherent to the um, object that is looking at. Uh, even, so, even so, some kind of um, responsivity uh, or maybe um, a form of, of uh, resonance or, or recreation within the thought. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, because uh, he, so in, in the, um, on the mode of existence of technical objects, his other main book um, that, that we read in a previous uh, iteration of this reading group, um, we we saw um, his criticism of um, classificatory approaches to knowledge. Um, so this would be um, a, a form of knowledge that that precisely understands um, uh, uh, entities in terms of uh, something like a, a static essence. Um, so uh, you you subsume the particulars under the species and the species under the genus and and so on. Um, and, and the species and the genus are, are these sort of fixed concepts um, and you, you, lose, um, um, you lose information the more uh, you, you uh, ascend from the particular um, uh, to the species and, and to the genus and so on. And he criticizes this um, form of, of knowing um, uh, in particular with reference to technical objects, um, but uh, here we see a more general um, uh, rejection of, of that type of knowledge, um, and his uh, his account or his his um, uh, his theory of um, of essences or or of, of the being of entities is going to be a, a genetic account, um, which is something that he sets out in his uh, in the third part of that book of uh, on the mode of existence of technical objects. Um, he gives a, a genetic account of human being in the world um, and the different um, dimensions of, uh, of a philosophical anthropology. Um, uh, and so um, in general, uh, transductive thinking is a genetic thinking in the sense that it, it, um, it, uh, it 
uh, understands the the being of uh, the entities that uh, is known that are that are known understands that being in terms of a of a becoming um, uh, in in dynamic terms rather than in static terms. So just to expand on that a little bit, I'm I'm thinking about the example of of the uh, the and how. So I'm thinking about the example of the crystal and how. Um, thinking might relate to that. So, um, so the way I take it, the crystal works, the examples that I saw uh, online, so there is a beaker, let's say, um, and it's filled with this supersaturated solution, which apparently is a solution that holds more of a kind of, I think it's some kind of salt than water can ordinarily hold and it's sort of been i think it's through heating that they get it sort of oversaturated and so so it's in a in a way it's 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 it has this state of tension and it's waiting right for something to happen but it's in a in a relatively stable state and i guess uh, that's the metastability and then somebody drops in a tiny little speck of uh crystal and then the whole thing uh, crystallizes right in the beaker, and it's it's pretty impressive to watch. Um, now, what I'm thinking is, okay, so this is what we're seeing. There is a process of being, but it must be that the same thing is happening in the observer, like in the one who knows this process. Like as we're watching this process unfold, we must have. A kind of metastable state that is, I guess, that's what the mind is before it comes to know. And then having this observation is a little bit like dropping a germ inside the mind. And then this kind of process unfolds, and that's the process of knowing. Uh, that seems like a way to, to bring the two together, maybe. Um, and it would be different from, you know, induction would be like, okay, here's an observation of a crystal that just formed and let's get a few more and then we can derive some laws. But now, now this is somehow sort of, uh, induction seems to be very static and this is somehow happening kind of dynamically, uh, the, uh, the transduction and sort of in real time, I guess, as the, um, as, as the crystal is forming. Um, so that's how I can put them together. I don't know if this makes sense. Um, yeah, it definitely does. I really like it. And it reminds me of the um, critique that um, Peirce gives in relation to um, deduction and induction as well, because for him, um, it lacks the the um, concept or the the um the ability to discover something totally new and that's for him the only um the only proper syllogistic way to introduce something new in our understanding uh, of of logic and of uh, epistemology is abduction uh, so it's this this third way of um deducing in in his um uh, understanding uh, from from a very um plausible um, ad hoc hypothesis 
because we are confronted with a new and an un um yet unknown event and for him deduction and induction are just two forms um to bring um or to transform already known things but in a new manner um but there's not a aspect of novelty to them uh, in a very um broad way uh, speaking yeah i think the uh the connection between uh simon doan purse and, and the 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 notion of transduction and abduction is something that would be interesting to investigate further um i'm sure that it, it exists in the secondary literature but i, I i'm not sure or i haven't uh, seen it myself um um but um i think i think that your um account that you gave there of um um of uh, transduction um in the the observation process i think that that's um broadly correct um we'll, we'll see um more about how psychic individuation works when we get to that part of the book um um but um uh yeah i think in general that that's correct that we have uh, we have to understand um um the the knowledge of the observer as being in a in a metastable state and then undergoing individuation um through this contact with um with uh, an external reality um i could read the next paragraph we could certainly assert the transduction would not be presented as a logical procedure having a proof value Furthermore, we don't mean to say that transduction is a logical procedure in the current sense of the term, it is a mental procedure, and even much more than a procedure. It is the mind's way of discovering. This way of discovering consists in following the being in its genesis, in accomplishing the genesis of thought at the same time as the genesis of the object is accomplished. In this research, it is called upon to play a role that dialectics could not play. So the study of the operation of individuation does not seem to correspond to the appearance of the negative as a second stage, but to an eminence of the negative within the initial condition through the ambivalent form of tension and incompatibility. This is what is most positive in the state of pre-individual being, namely the existence of potentials, which is also the cause of the incompatibility and non-stability of this state. The negative appears initially as an ontogenetic incompatibility, but it is in actuality merely the other side of a wealth of potentials. Therefore, it is not a substantial negative. It is never a stage or phase. An individuation is not a synthesis or return to unity, but the phase shift of the being based on its pre-individual center of potentialized incompatibility. From this ontogenetic perspective, time itself is considered as an expression of the dimensionality of the being that is individuating. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot in this paragraph. Um, um, so first, he, we have this um, sort of qualification of transductive thought as um, not, uh, not having the, the value or the status of a proof. Um, um, so it's, it characterizes, transductive thinking is what characterizes the process of discovery um, as opposed to what in philosophy of science, uh, there's this distinction between the, the context of discovery and the context of justification. Um, and so um, 
transductive thinking would be uh, would have to do with the context of uh, discovery um, rather than the context of justification. It, it, it doesn't offer a, a proof for a proposition, um, but um, but that doesn't mean that it's not uh, um, a, a logical process in the sense of uh, um, in a sort of extended sense in which uh, we would use logical to mean um, the the relation of thinking to um, to a truth or something along those lines. Uh, so um, the uh, transductive thinking is in fact a logical thinking in the sense that it um, uh, it brings about knowledge of uh, of an entity um, uh, in in this uh, process of discovery. Um, uh, but it's not logical in the sense of uh, proving a proposition. Um, and then we also have uh, his introduction of, of this uh, concept of genesis, um, which I, I just mentioned a little while ago. Uh, and um, um, he explains that the procedure, this transductive procedure, is a, a consists in following um, a being in its genesis. Uh, and and that means, uh, or synonymously, it, it's um, um, carrying out a genesis within thought at the same time as the genesis of the object. Um, so the, the the process of knowing, um, uh, or the 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 capacity to know um, an ontogenetic process is itself um, uh, genetic, is itself um, a process of becoming uh, and of individuation. Um, uh, and then so the, there's always that relationship of analogy um, between the, the process in the entity and then the, the process within our knowledge. Um, and then the, the last sort of major point here is the um, this uh, distinction between transduction and dialectics. Um, so he, he um, the, the sort of initial characterization of that distinction is that there's no moment of negation in the way that there is in the dialectical um, process. Um, so we, we don't have, um, we don't have a moment of negation, but then he also sort of turns that around to say that the negation is present in the uh, in the initial stage, um, rather than forming a, a second moment of the process. Um, so, in in that initial stage, uh, in the pre-individual being, we have this um, incompatibility and and tension um, of of potentials. Um, and so this, we can characterize this as, as a form of negation, um, but he, he wants to qualify that again by saying that this is not a substantial negation. So it's not, um, it's not that um, the, the moment of the negative um, would, be, um, would, would itself be a, a substantial um, moment or, or something with its own independence. Um, rather, um, the, this, insofar as we want to, to describe the initial uh, pre-individual state as as having uh, negation uh, it's it's a, a sort of internal negation built into it um, and then uh, um, because because there's this um, uh, this process um, of, of individuation or this transductive process begins with the already um, existing incompatibility and so on um, 
it the the process can't be characterized as uh... oh this looks like a disconnect okay i guess we are waiting now <laughs> so the way that i'm thinking of this difference from dialectics um I guess drawing on Zizek too, some of his formulations. Uh, so dialectics would say, yes, there's being uh, and everything that can be affirmed, but then there is nothing. There is this substantive negation. And that substantive negation kind of then initiates this process of a logical I guess it's a logical becoming. I think that's what Hegel wants it to be anyway. Uh, and it takes a lot of flack that it's not actually real becoming. And I guess, uh, so I guess what Simonon is saying is actually there's nothing beyond, there is no nothingness outside of ontology. N the negation is kind of inscribed in the ontological field of potentials. And really the negation is really the incompatibility of potential. So like um, the uh, um, like in the supersaturated solution, actually there being more dissolved salt than the amount of water can handle. And so it's sitting in this state of uh, kind of, it's, it's got this inherent instability that's only waiting to be triggered. And I guess that's the negative for for Simon Don. And it's not it's not substantive. It's kind of just inscribed in the uh, in the, um, the the field of potentials themselves. I I, I missed a bit of that, but um, what I um... What I heard, um, I, I agree with um, that it's precisely the, the fact that this negation is not um, an independent uh, moment of the, the process, uh, of the dialectal process. Um, uh, instead, we have this initial uh, incompatibility um, or, or this initial tension um, that, uh, that allows for the transductive process or the, that um, acts as the, the motor of the transductive process. Um, and um, for that, I mean, you know, because of that distinction, uh, this transduction is not a dialectical process. I'm curious if Simon don't ever, uh, actually a couple of things. Um, I'm curious if he uh, relates himself to the Stoics in any way. Because I've seen some secondary sources that do that, kind of connect them with some aspects of Stoic thinking. And, uh, and I'm also wondering if he ever talks about what potential is, like if he ever goes deeper into that, or is it just a kind of primitive, uh, sort of primitive notion? Yeah, there is some discussion of the Stoics in um, one of the complementary texts to this uh, to this book, um, so uh, which is called "History of the Notion of uh, the Individual," um, which is basically a, a history of, of philosophy as a whole, um, 
in light of the notion of the individual. Uh, so what different schools of philosophy have um, have said about uh, the individual and, and the concept of the individual. Um, yeah, there's some discussion of, of the Stoics in there. Um, I can't remember a lot of the details of, of what he um, what he takes from them, but I think it has more to do with the Stoic ethics rather than Stoic uh, physics. Um, um, and then on the notion of potential, there's the another one of the complementary texts to in this book, um, which is uh, form, information, and potentials, um, which we we read the discussion uh, portion of, uh, but the, we didn't read the article itself, which uh, we'll get to eventually um, as we uh, after we finish the the book itself. But we, when we get to the complementary texts. Um, so the, the notion of potential is, um, uh, it's not quite a primitive notion um, in the sense that he, he's borrowing it from physics. So he, he's, um, he's taking uh, the physical notion of potential as a, as a paradigm and then uh, using it to understand other domains of, uh, of, of thinking um, rather than strictly uh, as a physical notion. Okay, um, I think we can go on to the next bit, which I can read, um, assuming my computer doesn't crash. Okay, transduction is therefore not merely the reasoning of the mind, it is also intuition, because it is that through which a structure appears in a domain of a problematic as providing the resolution to the problem posed. But contrary to deduction, transduction does not go elsewhere to seek a principle to resolve the problem of a domain. It extracts the resolving structure from the very tensions of this domain, just as the supersaturated solution crystallizes due to its own potentials and according to the chemical species that it holds, not with the contribution of some foreign form. It is also not com comparable to induction, for induction truly conserves the characteristics of the terms of reality included in the studied domain, drawing the structures of the analysis from these terms themselves, but it only conserves what is positive in these terms, i.e. what is common to all terms, thereby eliminating what is singular from them. On the contrary, transduction is a discovery of dimensions whose system makes the dimensions of each of the terms communicate, such that the complete reality of each of the terms of the domain is into newly discovered structures without loss or reduction. Resolving transduction operates the inversion of the negative into the positive, that through which the terms are not identical to one another, that through which they are disparate, in the sense that this term assumes three-dimensional vision, it integrated into the system of resolution and becomes a condition of signification. There is no impoverishment of information contained in the terms. Transduction is characterized by the fact that the result of this operation is a concrete fabric according, including all the initial terms. The resulting system is made of that which has become made and includes the whole concrete. A transductive order conserves the concrete and is characterized by the conservation of information, whereas induction requires a loss of information. Just like dialectics, transduction conserves and integrates the opposed aspects. Unlike dialectics, transduction does not suppose the existence of a preliminary time as the framework in which the genesis unfurls, since time itself is a solution, a dimension of the discovered systematic. Time emerges from the pre-individual, just like the other dimensions according to which individuation effectuates itself. Um, so here we have um, um, a characterization of transductive uh, thinking or transductive knowledge as intuition, um, which um, we've, I think, mentioned a couple times sort of in passing, um, but uh, this is a definitely um, 
uh, a Bergsonian uh, resonance here. Um, so uh, in in Bergson, there's this notion of intuition as the, the knowledge of um, of uh, 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 of duration of the inner experience of time, um, and uh, Simon Don um, has a slightly different notion of intuition in the sense that um, for him, there's no, um, uh, whereas for, for Bergson, there's this uh, strict distinction between the, uh, the inner experience of time uh, or this um, uh, inextended duration. Um, and then on the other hand, the uh, perception of extended substance uh, uh, in space. Um, for Simon Don, um, we can have intuitive knowledge of um, of uh, entities in space. Uh, we can have the uh, intuition applies to um, anything that can undergo this process of transduction. Um, so it's not limited to an inner experience of time. Uh, we can also have um, intuition or or an intuitive knowledge of um, entities outside of ourselves. Um, insofar as they um, are, are um, undergoing a, a transductive process or this process of genesis. Um, and then he, he specifies here in this paragraph, he, he um, distinguishes transductive knowledge from inductive and, um, and, and deductive knowledge in, in basically the same way as, as we were talking about earlier. Um, so, uh, it's distinguished from inductive knowledge in the sense that it doesn't lose information, um, whereas, whereas knowledge only preserves what's common in terms um, and then loses everything particular. Transductive knowledge preserves the particular. Um, and then it, it's um, distinguished from deductive knowledge because uh, it doesn't um, uh, doesn't draw uh, a principle from outside of the problem. So within deductive knowledge, you always have to start from uh, um, a, a universal principle uh, and, and then deduce something from it, Some uh, deduce a particular from that universal. Um, uh, so in this, uh, in transductive knowledge, on the other hand, we, we start from the, the problem itself and we don't have to start from a, a universal outside of the problem. Um, and then he uh, he also introduces that example of binocular vision um, uh, that I mentioned, um, and uh, the um, discovery of a dimension uh, as a, as a, a paradigm of uh, the resolution of a problem um, or the the um, uh, uh, the um, sorry, the resolution of the incompatibility um, in a system. Um, and then there's this difficult notion of uh, time as arising out of this process of individuation. So for, for Simon Don, um, time is itself a dimension that, that has uh, a genesis within, uh, within the process of individuation. Um, so rather than time being a, a sort of frame in which uh, the process of transduction occurs, um, as he as he suggests is the case for dialectics, he um, 
he um, here is arguing or, or suggesting, I, I suppose, that um, we should understand time as itself um, being a dimension that is a, a result of a genesis. So I'm curious about a couple of things. Uh, I don't want to hog the space, but it seems like... Um, yeah, no, go ahead. There are no takers. Yeah. Um, well, in an earlier paragraph, he said something interesting. Uh, yeah, so so there was something interesting in an earlier paragraph where the germ, um, I think he called it a model. Um, so in the super, in the crystallization process, uh, I guess the bit of crystal that's put in acts as a kind of model in the, um, in the, in this, in the Genesis. And then, um, so there's a hint, I guess, of a kind of form matter, uh, uh, or, or there, there is some, this distinction of roles, I guess between the uh, the germ that enters and then the the the, the metastable field that is transformed uh, sort of on the model of the germ um, but I suppose it's it's all of it is go going to be relative you know this relationship is going to be relative uh, to the the particular kind of milieu that we're dealing with um, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking is that, like there is a sense of asymmetry, and uh, I guess that asymmetry really is what's driving the um, uh, the process. Yeah, there's um, uh, a couple points here. Um, so that that passage where where he used the term model is actually um, um, I, I noticed that uh, as someone was reading it and I was looking at the trans at the I was looking at the French um, and the word model is not in the French actually um, uh, so it, it was introduced by the translator um, it um, I, I was just trying to find the the passage again but I I, uh, I can't find it uh, quickly um, oh yes here it is um, so he says um, uh, each region of structure uh, sorry each constituted region of structure serves to the uh, the following region as a principle of constitution. Uh, so rather, he doesn't use the word model there, he just says principle of constitution. Um, and, um, but I think that that does raise an interesting point or, or difficulty for Simon Don's account that um, we talked about a little bit last time, I think, uh, or, or maybe at the, the previous meeting. Um, but the the status of these germs, these initial germs, um, is a little bit obscure, uh, or he he seems to hesitate um, as to what status he wants to assign to them, um, because in the crystallization example, the germs um, come in from outside, so there's a, there's an already constituted crystal, um, you know, just a, a tiny piece of crystal, but it's a, it's a, something already constituted, already individuated, that is introduced into the solution, and then. Uh, and then uh, on the basis of that uh, germ or, or surrounding that germ, the rest of the solution crystallizes. Um, but that, um, if we want to take, uh, uh, sorry, that, that account where the germ is, is something already constituted and individuated that arises, that is introduced from outside the system, doesn't fit with 
the rest of what he wants this notion of transduction transduction to do. Um, and then the, the sort of alternate um, account uh, of of the uh, of these germs is one that he in in the form information potentials discussion uh, or, or in the paper and then in the discussion that we read a couple weeks ago he um, he sort of brings up this idea but then hesitates to to use it um, but he he suggests the idea that the the germs would arise through chance um there so there would be this moment of chance um uh and and um i think real life crystallization processes do have this element of chance in them because um the the supersaturated solution um can crystallize um without having a an external germ introduced um like we think of uh, the way that um, water will freeze um, if you if you, the temperature is low enough, um, and uh, um, there doesn't need to be an external crystal, um, or an external already constituted crystal introduced into the solution. Um, and uh, but he so he he introduces this idea um, that there's this chance element for the germs, uh, but then he he sort of says. Um, it's difficult to accept that there would be a role of chance in this operation, uh, something along those lines. I don't, don't remember the exact wording. Um, so he, he um, I think he's aware of this problem of uh, where these germs come from and whether they're sort of external or, or internal, but he doesn't have a, a good solution to that problem. And he, he doesn't want to, um, have recourse to uh, a role of chance in the transductive process. I guess the difficulty philosophically would be how, how, how do we get the process started in the first place? If we, if everything is a metastable uh, field, let's say, um, then there must be that first germ, right? That gets, uh gets the metastable solution sort of uh developing or transducing and um yeah so i can see how chance could do it um could could he spell this out just in terms of the differences of potentials uh just in terms of you know, let's say there is a difference in the between the potential within um, one region of the of the of the entire field, and then some nearby region. Um, or is the danger that you know the the problem is why hasn't everything just remained as a in a metastable state? Why isn't everything just a kind of metastable solution? Uh, forever kind of dwelling in that metastability. Yeah, I think that's a good characterization of the problem. Um, so I, I think like the you sort of uh, sketched out there the idea that there would be some sort of um, um, relationship between the potentials in the initial pre-individual state um, that would bring about the, uh, the process of transduction and, and individuation. Um, I think that doesn't work because then we're, we're still always remaining at the level of potentials rather than of actuality. Um, 
and and then uh, it's it's it seems as if we need something actual in order to get the process of individuation that will result in a new actuality. Um, like in order to get that process going, we need something actual like that germ, um, um, that uh, initial um, impetus to the whole process. Um, but if we do accept that there is something actual introduced from outside um, to, to start the whole process, then we've we've sort of just pushed the problem back uh, another step because then we, we need to have an account of where that actual where that germ comes from. Um, so um, yeah, I think this is a a, a serious difficulty for Simon Don, um, and I think possibly the reason why he doesn't want to use this notion of chance um, is because uh, it's. It plays a similar. It would play a similar role in his account as the the Kleinemann in the atomistic theory. Um, so, um, as we we talked about a, a little bit um, a couple weeks ago, uh, when when we saw Simondon's criticism of the atomistic theory, um, in this account you start with atoms falling in the void. Um, but if the atoms just are are all falling, they'd all be falling in in parallel tracks to each other. They would there would be no contact between the atoms. And so, in order for uh, to account for um, uh, composite bodies uh, made up of, of many atoms, we have to introduce this notion of the the Kleinemann or the swerve, um, the which which uh, you know makes some of the atoms uh, deviate from the uh, the perpendicular path, um, and and then allows atoms to come into contact with each other. Um, and and this notion of the Kleinemann was all, has always been criticized as, as being sort of arbitrarily um, thrown in uh, just to account for the the existence of composite bodies, and uh, um, I think Simon Don uh, doesn't want to introduce a notion of chance um, for a similar reason because it would seem to be um, uh, sort of an arbitrary. Um, uh, introduction of this notion just to uh, account for that actual actuality that starts the whole process of individuation. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's a, a, a real uh, problem on this point in Simon Don's theory. It's interesting how he's between two extremes in a way. Because I'm, as you're talking about the atomists, I'm thinking of Aristotle. And his solution, so that will be the hylomorphic account, right? And his solution is to introduce this supreme actuality, right? The prime mover. And the prime mover is a final cause for every every development, every uh, uh, actual actualizing of potential. And that's obviously not... Uh, so the, the prime mover, I guess, is a kind of form, right? The supreme form. Uh, and very clearly, that's not what Simondon wants. Um, but it seems like he would need some kind of, um, yeah, some some kind of like I guess the germ is an analog of that. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure if you you cut out there again or, or if, uh, if you were done. Um, um, but um, yeah, I think that's right. I think the the germ. Um, the germ um, plays a similar role in, in Simondon's theory as the prime mover does in Aristotle's theory. Um, 
uh, insofar as they're, they're both this moment of actuality that, um, that accounts for the process of becoming. Um, and um, um, which of course doesn't mean, you know, because just because we have this, this problematic point, um, we have, um, um, we have, uh, um, doesn't mean that the, like the rest of the, uh, the theory is to be rejected or, or something like that. Um, I, I think there's um, a lot of uh, value in the rest of, of uh, what Simon Don uh, develops for us. Um, and precisely like, uh, like Angus said there, that um, explaining the interaction between form and matter um, uh, in, a, in a much more um, concrete way than, than the hylomorphic theory is capable of doing. Um, and uh, um, but I think it's uh, it's worth um, pointing out the, this problematic point um, and uh, keeping it in mind as we continue reading. However, in order to think the transductive operation, which is the basis of individuation in, in its various levels, the notion of form is insufficient. The notion of hylomorphic form is part of the same system of thought as that of substance or that of report as a relation posterior to the existence of terms. These notions have been elabor elaborated based on the results of individuation. They can, only, they can only grasp an impoverished real without potentials, and consequently one that is incapable of individuating. Uh, and you're saying the next one as well. Yeah, the, the, the next one too, thank, uh, thank you. Uh, the notion of form must be replaced with that of information, which supposes the existence of a system in a state of metastable equilibrium that can individuate. Unlike form, information is never a single term, but the signification that emerges from a disparation. The ancient notion of form, such as the hylomorphic schema upholds is too independent from any notion of system and metastability. The notion of form provided by Gestalt theory, on the contrary, conveys the notion of system and is defined in the state toward which the system tends when it finds its equilibrium. It is a resolution of tension. Sadly, an overly superficial physical paradigmatism has led Gestalt theory to consider that the only state of equilibrium of a system that can resolve tensions is the state of stable equilibrium. Gestalt theory has ignored metastability. We would like to take up Gestalt theory again and with the introduction of, quantum, of a quantum condition, show that the problem, problems posed by Gestalt theory cannot be directly resolved via the notion of stable equilibrium but only via the notion of metastable equilibrium. Good from uh, is therefore no longer, sorry, uh, good form is therefore no longer simple form, pregnant geometrical form, but signif significative form, signif significative form, i.e. that which establishes a transductive order within a system of reality bearing potentials. This good form is what maintains the energetic level of the system, 
conserves its potentials by making them compatible. It is the structure of compatibility and viability. It is the invented dimensionality according to which there is compatibility without degradation. The notion of form then deserves to be replaced by that of information. During this replacement, the notion of information must never be reduced to signals or supports or vehicles of information, as the technological theory of information tends to do when it is siphoned by abstraction from the technology of transmissions. The, the pure notion of form must therefore be saved twice from an overly superficial technological paradig paradigmatism. First, relative to ancient culture due to the reductive usage of the notion of the hylomorphic schema. Uh, second, um, uh, relative to the state of the notion of information in modern culture, to save information as signification from the technological theory of information conceived by way of the experience of transmissions through a channel. For we actually uncover the same goal at work in the successive theories of hylomorphism, good form, and then information. The goal that seeks to discover the inherence of significations to being. And it is precisely this inheritance that we would like to discover in the operation of individuation. Right. Uh, yeah. So thanks for that. Um, the uh, um, so here we have um, again coming back to this criticism of uh, the notion of form uh, that, that we saw in uh, the form information potentials paper, um, um, and in particular the criticism of Gestalt psychology as a a, a theory of form, um, and so in that. Uh, in Gestalt psychology, there's this tendency to understand form, uh, the good form, as being the one that resolves tension in the sense of um, uh, um, uh, a stable equilibrium. Uh, so it's the lowest energy state of the system. Um, and then, so Simondon argues that um, we have to instead understand uh, we have to instead use this notion of information rather than of form or, or insofar as we want to think about form, it has to be a form um, uh, relative to information. Um, and this, so this, is, this is again the, the primary information or first information um, the, which underlies the uh, information uh, insofar as it can be transmitted. Um, so it's uh, here information means the, the the quality of being a good form uh, rather than um, the quantitative measure of information that can be transmitted through a channel. Um, and, and so um, um, we saw this example in the, um, in the uh, form information potentials discussion. Um, he says that if you take, uh, uh, if you dump a bucket of sand on a table, uh, and then you want to transmit accurately the position of each grain of sand on the table, it would take a huge amount of information to transmit, but the, the, um, the, the and it's precisely because it's not structured that, that it has, it would require so much information to transmit that, that, uh, uh, that uh, position. Um, whereas if you take, if you draw a, a rectangle or, a, or something like that, um, 
and uh, you wanted to transmit that rectangle to uh, to another person, you could transmit with a much lower um, quantity of information uh, just by specifying the dimensions of the rectangle. Um, but um, uh, in in the more fundamental sense, the rectangle is more structured. Uh, it it's, has more of this um, tension of information or primary information um, uh, than just the bucket uh, of sand dumped on the table. Um, and so this is the, the dimension of information that he is interested in here. Um, and so what, what makes that rectangle um, uh, a good form is precisely that it uh, that it um, uh, so it's, it's not that it's the, the lowest state of energy of the system, but precisely because it has the capacity to structure someone else's knowledge. Um, so someone who receives that, that rectangle can uh, can undergo a process of individuation in their own knowledge um, that would be structured by the, the rectangle they receive. Um, and so it's the capacity to bring about that transformation that uh, that characterizes a, a good form, um, and then and so he he um, um, he so he says we need to replace this notion of form with with one of information, um, and then we have to sort of um, uh, we have to sort of save this notion of, of form uh, from uh, these two. Um, possible uh, dangers that it can undergo. Uh, so on the one hand, it can be um, um, it can be reduced to ancient culture or, or um, it can be used in this reductive way in connection with ancient uh, culture. Uh, so talking about ancient Greece here. Um, uh, and then it's, uh, it becomes the, the notion in the hylomorphic schema of a, a, a form that it's imposed on a matter in, in some obscure way. Um, and, and then we don't have this under understanding of the interaction between form and matter. Um, and then the second danger is that um, form will be reduced to um, re be reduced to this notion of information as um, what is transmitted through a, uh, through a channel. And um, what we have to hold on to um, opposed to these two dangers is the the understanding of um, uh, signification as inherent in being, um, as he puts it. Um, and uh, and this is what the notion of individuation and, and transduction um, is supposed to um, explain for us. Right, because when we look at information in this um sense of, of early communications theory after Shannon and Weaver, for example, in this signal model, uh, uh, um, a triangle is very, um, yeah, very simple. So it is, it is more informed in the sense uh, than, than the um, pile of sand, <clears throat> because this is so, so unstructured. And, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> it it didn't work in uh, live chat, but I tried to make a, a, a very simple uh, triangle. Uh, just the top of the it won't fit. Um, just uh, goes back to the top of the line. I don't know why. Um, but but um, it, because a triangle can be um, um, transmitted so um, so simple just with uh, six different dots um, 
for example. It, it has a lot of redundant information. You could, uh, uh, for example, uh, have a triangle with with a lot of uh, information that you need to transmit it by, for example, uh, use use um, um, continuous lines that are con uh, that are um, made of um, almost infinitely many points. So uh, it could also be something uh, with uh, infinite um, information. Uh, but I guess the, his point here is that we shouldn't reduce um, information to this this uh, simple transmission in a technological sense, because then the genetic structures and the genesis of different forms, so to speak, or of intensities um, get lost. Uh, you then don't know how uh, it's it's just a, a simple schema that we reinterpret as some. Thing, um, as a triangle, but it's just simple uh, signals that were transmitted. We don't know um, by just looking at it how a triangle is uh, constructed in a mathematical manner, or what um, is the the whole um, construction process in in geometry of um, behind a triangle. That's something that we only would understand in a um, very um, deeply theoretical framework, and in uh, this. Um, framework of transduction, right? Yeah, I think um, that, that example of the triangle that you can, um, um, like, for example, you can you can take a photograph of a triangle and transmit that photograph um, through some sort of electronic communication means. Um, and then that photograph of the triangle would have exactly, would be transmitted um, with exactly the same amount of information as the, the photograph of the the pile of sand, um, and so the the photograph itself doesn't um, doesn't pick up on the the structure of the triangle. Um, it just uh, captures the the image, but without having any sort of grasp of structure. Um, but um, what what the the issue that Simondo has with this notion of information is not that it so it's not that it's incorrect or something like that because it, it has these these um, specific technological applications but it's that it doesn't um, map onto correctly um, to the 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 way that we we understand individuation uh, sorry the, the way that we understand information in uh, just sort of the the informal use of the term. Um, so we would we would say that the 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 triangle is um, um, has uh, more information than just the random uh, pile of sand or or just random dots on a piece of paper or something like that. We would understand that as, as um, uh, so it, it has the quality of being a good form uh, in the sense uh, of Gestalt psychology, um, but. Uh, it is actually transmissible using much less information than uh, the uh, the pile of sand. Um, so he wants to account for that that sort of more uh, everyday use of the term uh, of information, and um, and so information in that sense would be not just uh, what is transmitted through the message, but the uh, the structuring that uh, precedes the transmission. Um, and and so this is a for him is a, a more fundamental notion of information, uh, and and so that's why he sometimes uses that term first information, uh, or or primary information. Um, 
And so this this notion of information underlies the uh, transmission process. So it's it's only because there is already this um, th because there is this uh, process of generation of primary information. Uh, it's only because that exists that we can secondarily uh, transmit information across uh, a, a communication channel. Um, and then uh, uh, Angus had a, a question in the chat here. Um, is he drawing a link between, uh, sorry, just a sec. Is he drawing a link between the good form and binocular vision in that it preserves potentials rather than subtracting from the available information? Um, I think, um, hmm. so the, the binocular vision example is that it, um, as you said, it, it, uh, in binocular vision, we incorporate um, the, the disparation of the two, um, the two retinal images rather than abstracting from what is different between them. We incorporate that disparation and, and uh, generate the, the third dimension or depth perception. Um, and the, the notion of information uh, plays a, a similar role in the sense that um, the, the, um, the uh, information has to do with um, the the pre-existing uh, tension within the system. Uh, so, so there's always a, the the tension that that pre-exists the process of individuation, um, and uh, what characterizes something as a good form is its capacity to um, uh, um, uh, compatibilize or, or make compatible the these disparate um, elements of the system that uh, previously did not have a connection to each other um, or that were previously incompatible. Um, and so it's the discovery of a, a dimension um, in the same way uh, as binocular vision uh, includes this um, discovery of a dimension in depth perception. Okay, we're almost at time, but we have one paragraph left, so um, I'm gonna, uh, I can read it uh, in just a second when I scroll down. Thus, a study of individuation can tend toward a reform of fundamental philosophical notions, for it is possible to consider individuation as what must be known beforehand about being, even before wondering how it is legitimate or illegitimate to bear judgments on beings, it can be considered that being is said in two senses. In a first fundamental sense, being is insofar as it is, but in a second sense, always superposed on the first sense in logical theory, being is being insofar as, as it is individuated. If it were true that logic bears on statements relative to being only after individuation, a theory of being anterior to all logic would have to be established. This theory could serve as the foundation to logic for nothing proves in advance that being is individuated in a single possible way. If several types of individuation existed, several logics would also have to exist, each corresponding to a definite type of individuation. The classification of ontogenesis would make it possible to pluralize logic with a valid foundation of plurality. As for the axiomatization of the knowledge of pre-individual being, it cannot be contained in a preliminary logic for no norm or system detached from its content can be defined. By being accomplished, only the individuation of thought can accompany the individuation of beings other than thought. We therefore cannot have an immediate knowledge or a mediated knowledge of individuation, but we can have a knowledge that, that is an operation parallel to the operation known. We can know individuation in the ordinary sense of the term. Sorry, we cannot know individuation in the ordinary sense of the term. We can only individuate, be individuated, and individuate within ourselves. 
This apprehension is therefore in the margin of knowledge, properly speaking, an analogy between two operations, an analogy that is a certain mode of communication. The individuation of the real exterior to the subject is grasped by the subject due to the analogical individuation of knowledge within the subject. But it is through the individuation of knowledge and not through knowledge alone that the individuation of non-subject beings is grasped. Beings can be known through the knowledge of the subject, but the individuation of beings can only be grasped through the individuation of the subject's knowledge. Maybe we can uh, uh, wrap up and um, we can discuss a couple of the notions of that uh, paragraph just for next time, right before we start on the first chapter, um, uh, unless someone has like a, a burning uh, comment or, or question, um, because we're, we're just sort of running up on the uh, time limit here. Okay, uh, yeah, so let's let's end there. Um, and uh, thank you everyone for uh, participating and uh, see you all next week and we'll start on chapter one of the book.